The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in chapter 5 together. So we're going to jump back in for a few weeks to our series working through the book of Proverbs. And so some of you may be wondering, and if you're not, I'm going to tell you anyways, what are the Proverbs? Well, the book of Proverbs is a book of wise sayings and poems, questions, parables, and instructions. And these were compiled largely by King Solomon during his reign. Uh, King Solomon was a man of renowned wisdom in his day and still to this day. Uh, The the most common answer you will hear uh, to this question, because I said, you know, Solomon was a man renowned for wisdom, it it might lead you to ask a question. This would be a good question. What is wisdom? And and the most common answer you'll hear is, is something along the lines of this, that wisdom is knowing how to apply knowledge properly. Now, there's a common quote used to kind of summarize this idea, and that's this. Knowledge is knowing what to say. Wisdom is knowing when to say it. Uh, I would add to that humbly. uh, It's an anonymous quote, so I don't think I'm offending anybody. Uh, I would add knowing when to say it and how to say it, if I could. Just humbly submit that. Amen. Got a witness in the congregation today. Uh, I think it's important, though, when talking about wisdom, for us to distinguish between worldly and godly wisdom. Let me give you some scriptures that would tell you why I make that distinction. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says this, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in the sight of God. For it is written, He is the one who catches the wise by their craftiness. So if you read that verse in isolation, you might think, Ooh, okay, well, maybe wisdom is bad. Okay? But let's Consider this, James 1.5 says, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Okay, so is, is wisdom good or bad? Well, it matters very much on the source of the wisdom. Worldly wisdom is a counterfeit for the true wisdom that God provides. Worldly wisdom is often anthropocentric. There's a $20 word. How much did you pay to get in today? That's free. What does that mean? It means when you're anthropocentric, you see humans as the most significant entity in the universe. And worldly wisdom is often centered on that idea. Now, godly wisdom will always acknowledge the supremacy and authority of God and his word in making decisions. It's going to be a primary distinction between those two sources of wisdom. Now, One other thing I want to prepare you for as we dive back into the Proverbs is that the Proverbs may seem, at face value, a little male-centric with many of its sayings because many of its sayings start out and seem to be addressed or are addressed to sons. Uh, We'll start today. It'll say, my son, as if the instructions are only going to them. But there's just a few things that I think would be helpful for us to remember so as not to miss uh, the perhaps broader scope of the application of wisdom that we find in Proverbs. So the first thing I want you to remember is that wisdom itself 
is personified as a woman throughout the Proverbs. I see, I had one woman give me a witness on that. Ladies, that was your chance. I expected to see a lot more men do this movement as their wise elbow came into their rib cage. <laughs> Wisdom itself is personified as a woman in the Proverbs. So ladies, next time your husband's mouthy and not listening, just you know, remind him of that. Verse 120, um, chapter 1, verse 20 of, of Proverbs, right out of the gate, wisdom shouts in the street, she lifts her voice in the square. Okay, so that's, and that's consistent throughout the Proverbs. I think that's interesting. That could maybe carves some of the harsh edge off what might seem a male-centric set of uh, wise sayings. The second thing I want you to remember is that many times throughout the Proverbs, you will see the admonition not only to hear the Father's instruction, but also not to forsake the mother's teaching. And they often are together in the same verse, okay? Ladies, that was another chance you missed to say amen really loud. You, you're running out. I got one more, so just ready? Here we go. In Proverbs 31, the last thing I'll give you just to consider this in a circumspect way. In Proverbs 31, which lays out a description of an excellent wife, we see in verse 26 of that chapter... This is what it says about her, that she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Amen. Amen. There you go, ladies, you got it. Amen. So, uh, against what is maybe a, you know, a common misconception in the culture and maybe even by some who claim to follow Christ, uh, the Proverbs or, or no other descriptions in, in the Bible uh, label women as supposedly, you know, supposed to be quiet and good at making sandwiches. That's not the extent of what God has for them uh, and the gifts that he puts in them, right? And so a, a wise husband, wise men will understand that God imparts wisdom to women as well. And we should listen. Amen. <clears throat> Where's my wife? Is she in here? Did you amen at any of that? I just do a really good job at honoring you. I'm not going to hear any of your amens because Kathy's here. That's right. Okay. But I genuinely love when Kathy's here. She helps me preach better. So so Solomon does often address sons. uh, The wisdom of mothers is also a consistent theme, and it's mentioned often in, in the same sentence as instruction from the father. And we know that godly fathers and mothers impart wisdom to both sons and daughters, right? And so... With all of this considered, I think we can safely say that the vast majority of wisdom offered in the Proverbs is meant to apply to both men and women, right? And so as we're going through today and it's instruction to the son, for you who are daughters, I think it's fine for you to just take that as well, okay? Amen. I don't think we're stretching or improper in doing that at all. Uh, So last thing is, is a bit of a courtesy heads up. Uh, Proverbs 5 deals with sex and sexuality pretty prominently. So, if you have children that you don't want to hear at this point, biblical teaching on those subjects, and whether that's here in the sanctuary or whether you might be joining on the live stream, then you might want to take them out of the room. Uh, But if I could uh, humbly suggest, though, if, if you aren't having conversations with your kids around these subjects at an age appropriate level, as soon as they can comprehend the concepts, that I would encourage you to start those discussions ASAP. If you need help with that or resources, please reach out because we'd be really happy to come alongside you. It's real important. They're getting messaging on these things. 
okay? And, and they should be getting messaging from you. It should be the strongest source of messaging on these things, okay? All right, amen. So I hope you got to Proverbs 5. It's right after the Psalms. That one's easy to find. It's big and in the middle. Proverbs is right after that. Proverbs 5. We're going to read through the whole thing here, okay? My son, give attention to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. And strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how have I hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof? I've not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord." And he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, and he will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction, and in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. Praise God for his word. You guys, it's Pentecost Sunday. You probably expected a nice message about the Holy Spirit or something. Here we are, back in Proverbs. And uh, this is what Solomon wanted to talk about in Proverbs 5. So um, as we get cracking on this, I just want to say, you know, maybe you don't know this. We're a church that believes the whole counsel of God's word is good. It's good for us and it has a purpose. And the, the teaching of the New Testament is that a big part of what I'm supposed to do is teach the word of God. And so that's from Genesis to Revelation. And so we're in Proverbs and we're in Proverbs 5. Okay, so if you don't like what I have to say today, talk to Solomon when you get there, okay? Or Jesus. I mean, take it up with either one of them. I can't do anything about it, all right? I didn't write the mail. I'm just delivering it, okay? Amen. (laughs) All right, so Proverbs 5 represents a pretty decent primer, I would say, an overview to what is commonly referred to as a Christian or biblical sexual ethic, okay? As well as giving us some warnings about the painful consequences that come from ignoring it. And as the world's ideas on sex and sexuality become ever increasingly more perverse, the list of deviations and deceptions around this has gotten a bit longer over time. We have uh, a great propensity for sin and unfortunately good imaginations. So humanity kind of, keeps finding new ways to jack this up. But the bottom line is this. The Bible teaches that sex is a good gift from God for the purpose of procreation, pleasure, intimacy, and expression of genuine love within the benevolent boundary of covenant marriage between one man and one woman. 
Okay, so that's kind of a working definition for us of what the Christian or biblical sexual ethic is. I know that was kind of long. Uh, this is recorded. If you, if you want to write that down later, you can come see me and, and copy my notes, okay? Now, most everyone, I think, knows that God said way back in Genesis that part of his will for humanity was that we would be fruitful and multiply. So, the procreation purpose for sex is pretty obvious, Right? Uh, unless you missed biology class in school and live in a cave, most of us probably understand where babies come from, right? Amen. All right, so that's, that, that's kind of obvious. Now, there have been those throughout church history who have had an incomplete view of the biblically revealed purposes for sex and what they've done then, they've had an underdeveloped view, They've taught that it should only be for procreation, okay? And this is problematic on at least a few levels, all right? The first is more pragmatic, I think, and practical. I would just say, well, I'll even put this in the drawer of opinion. Maybe I'm uninformed, and you can judge that. But any man trying to tell people he's accomplishing the procreation part without the pleasure part is lying, I did say man specifically there. I'm going to leave it right there. Or he's either lying or he has some really weird medical condition that I've never heard of. Okay? So right off the bat, it's just kind of weird to try to teach that. Um, more importantly than that practical consideration is the idea that, that sex is only for procreation is completely unbiblical. Uh, we can see that we have lots of places we can see that, but we can see it right here in Proverbs 5, verses 18 and 19. Look at that again. Probably the most uncomfortable verse for some of you to hear me read. I'm not that uncomfortable reading it, but we're, we're, we're in it, so let's go. Uh, Proverbs 5, 18 and 19. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. That does not sound like a description of just procreation to me. Right? Because if, we're, if it's just all utilitarian purpose, I'm not sure what the focus is here upon her breasts, right? Those are meant for feeding babies, but obviously, it's okay if there's other purposes. I'll just leave it at that, okay? Uh, he can, you know, <laughs> the proverb writer here is encouraging him to be enthralled, exhilarated, happy with those, okay? So... Uh, <laughs> thirdly, let's move on. Thirdly, I'm, look, man, I told you this, this is not my fault. It's just, it's in here. What, what do you want me to do? A proper understanding, okay, of why sex is a gift from God and the purposes it performs within a covenant marriage, having a proper understanding of that, it's a key to truly seeing the boundaries that God places around all of that as good and loving instead of restrictive and unfair. Oftentimes our misunderstanding of, of, of God himself and then many of the benevolent boundaries he's laid down, I would say particularly around the area of sex and sexuality, comes from the fact that we don't think hard enough about purpose, intent. What, if God designed it, what did he design it for? Because you want to use things and, and, and operate, have things operate in the way that they were designed. Because if you try to use uh, the wrong tool for the wrong job, let's say, uh, oftentimes you can end up getting hurt and or messing something up, right? Um, just deciding, you know, I, I just, I think my car is a boat. 
I don't care what the manufacturer designed it to do. I think my car should go on water. How's that going to go for you? Not super good, okay? And we do that all the time <laughs> in lots of different ways. Uh, I know that's a silly example, but a lot of what we do is silly, okay? Um, that third idea about purpose, it, it leads me to the kind of big idea for today. So my hope is that we will be able to have our minds washed in the water of God's word today as it pertains to these things. My hope also is that that water, it can be sourced from the confluence of two streams, that being both biblical knowledge and biblical wisdom when it comes to sex and sexuality, okay? And here's the thing. Some of you today, you need to hear these commands and warnings in Proverbs 5 because you are currently ensnared or very close to being ensnared in sexual sin right now in either thought or deed. And I tend to think of sexual sin as a snare commonly. You'll see that even at the end of Proverbs 5 when it talks about uh, his own iniquities will capture the wicked and he will be held with the cords of his sin. Okay, And that's not the only place. Um, as we move through Proverbs, you know, for the next several weeks, uh, this, this, you know, this series of Proverbs, this, this was on his mind. So we're going to be back. Uh, today's just a bit of a primer, kind of getting the thing going. But uh, he'll, he'll, he'll refer to this kind of sin as like a fowler's snare. Okay? And, and I think it'd be really helpful if we thought of it that way, as opposed to some um, forbidden thing that's really good for us that God's trying to hold us back from. If we understood that it is something that it may have bait on it, it may look like it's going to be good, but when I took put my hand in there to touch it, snap, it's going to hurt me, okay? I think there's a lot of wisdom in, in being able to understand that principle. Now, so some of you may be ensnared now, close to being ensnared, and that's going to, how these warnings are going to apply to you today, but some of you need to consider with more vigor and wisdom, of the, with more vigor the wisdom of these commands and warnings, because just like in the first century, the Christian sexual ethic, which is holy and helpful, is hated by many. Deceiving and confusing people into ignoring God's wisdom on this subject is one of the primary tools Satan uses to draw people away from Jesus and towards destruction. It's not the only one, but it is one of the primary. And this happens in all kinds of ways, ranging from blatant rebellion to crushing condemnation. But the point is, there's a lot of pain in the world regarding these things. And many of us are intimidated to speak the truth in love or stand for what God has said is right. And, and don't let me uh, stand up here and act like I don't ever deal with how intimidating it has become. It, it has. It's, things have been framed in such a way that we've been told we can't speak the truth of these things in love, as if that's an impossibility. And so we have to even stand in resistance to that idea on its face and understand the nature of true love. And let me make sure I'm being clear. I'm not talking about a crusade against the culture. It is up to God to judge those who do not follow Jesus. Did you hear that? If you don't know what I mean by that, I want you to think about it more. And if you still don't know what I mean about it, come talk to me. Because it's important. It's a place where this gets real muddy and problematic. Okay? <clears throat> it's, I'm not talking about a crusade against the culture. 
But we absolutely should be holding one another accountable within the household of faith. I don't just mean holding each other accountable when it comes to this type of sin, but also that we do not shrink back from speaking truth when the door is open to do so with wisdom. Okay? So what, what I'm saying there is, um, if, if you are someone that claims to follow Christ, you should have a desire for people who are around you and love you to be bold enough and love you enough to speak up and say, hey, I see you heading towards something that looks like a snare, or it looks like you're in a snare. Can I help you get out of the snare? Um, for those within the household of faith, phrases like, oh, um, no, nobody but God can judge me, that's, you, that you didn't get that from the Bible. You got that from the culture. And it's foolish. It's not right. Uh, wisdom would dictate that we desire having sets of eyes on our lives other than our own. Because wisdom understands that I am not God and thus not perfect. I've got blind spots. Am I the only one? Okay, great. I'm glad we got that established. That'll help as we move forward. Now, by the way, a primary way that this speaking the truth in love should be happening within the household of faith is teaching our children not just the what of the biblical sexual ethic, but the why. I'm back to talking about us talking to our kids again, because it's real important. But when we talk to our kids, and I'm talking about all across the board, but maybe even, man, it's particularly important in this discussion, is that we do not, in a legalistic fashion, just tell them the what of God's standard. We need to understand the why. And that's part of what I'm hoping our time in Proverbs is going to help all of us with today. To consider the wisdom of the why on these things. Because it's very easy to know the what and then bang on a table and talk about the what. And that used to be the approach of a lot of even ministers of the gospel. But I think part of what's happened as the culture has moved away from kind of the chokehold of Christendom, and what I mean by that is that you had a cultural majority of people who would have at least claimed to be Christian. And so Christian morality was kind of the norm, and it would have been maybe odd, and I'm talking mid-19th century, some even before, up until, I don't know, when, when did that stuff start to be undone? I mean, I mean, sociologists would probably have differing opinions on that. That's not the point. The point is, we are not there now. Let me try to make that really plain. There was a time when, in America, if you told someone, I'm a Christian, that would typically be viewed as positive. And then there was a time where that kind of became neutral. Now, largely, for you to say I'm a Christian, and by that you mean I believe that God's word is true and should be obeyed, it's authoritative, um, that's pretty much a negative. And a lot of why it's a negative centers around this right here. Human sexuality, God's intention and purpose for it. Okay? So we, we just need to understand these things and uh, be honest about it, and, and be signed up for the reality of what it's going to mean to be in the time and place where we live, stand for truth, walk in love, and be people of wisdom. Amen. So what I want to do with you is just walk through the text a bit together. Uh, if, if you, right now, if you've been ensnared in sexual sin, or you've been stepping next to the snare, I want you to try to take down now any walls of, of self-justification or excuses and just hear these words and warnings as coming from a loving father who is smarter than you and everyone else. Okay, could you just 
Just maybe you don't really believe that yet. Can you suspend whatever your framework is for a minute and try to hear it from that perspective? Because I'm submitting to you that that is the right way to see it. It's the way it's presented. If you're not currently ensnared in this type of sin, then take note of these things so that you may fight against future temptations yourself, but also you may be galvanized in the conviction that life and breath and all things, including sex, were made by God for his purposes. And to deviate from those purposes is not just sin against him, but always means pain and harm for us. We have to be galvanized in that belief. If we're not, then we will not have the backbone to speak the truth in love, to be people that come alongside those who have been ensnared. Some people are ensnared and they know it. Some people are in a snare. They know it hurts, they don't, but they don't even know what it is. They don't know what the cords are that have them bound. But we are people that believe in truth. And that truth is centered in the person and work of Christ. And, and the Word of God says that the truth sets people free. That's really what we want for people. And that's, that, the devil has been unfortunately successful at convincing people that what Christians want, what Bible people want, is to put more restrictions on people. No, 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 no. It's the exact opposite. We want what the Father wants for you, which is actual freedom. Because a fish flopping around on land is not free. A bird trying to be a fish is not free. It's going to go bad for him. And a human trying to deviate from the express will and purpose of God in all things, but in particularly today in the realm of sexuality, it's not going to go good. It's not, that's not freedom. That's bondage. So verses 1 through 6. Let's look at those again together. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey and smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable she does not know it. Quick question. If you see a small child, grab a bottle of bleach. And maybe they grab it because the label is, is bright and colorful. I mean, that would be dumb on the manufacturer's part, but who knows? Uh, kids eat Tide Pods, so, you know, I mean, whatever. So, so little, little Timmy gets under the kitchen cabinet, you know, and grabs the bottle of bleach. They, they pop off the child-proof cap because... Kids are mischievous little geniuses, and um, they can do that. Pops off the childproof cap and, and, and then and tips it up to take a swig. Okay, so you as the adult in the room, question, what is the loving move there? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't know if you should be sh- so sure. Before you, before you answer that, keep in mind, the child really thinks with all of their little heart and mind the contents of the bleach container are going to be amazing. Did you consider that? Well, maybe you should, because the outside looks so enticing of the bleach bottle. The child may even be thinking there is no way what's inside this bottle won't be awesome. What if they're thinking all of that? Should you still, when little Timmy goes to tip the bleach bottle back and take a swig, Knowing all of that, how convinced that child is of the glory awaiting him in the bleach bottle. Should you still snag the bleach bottle and stop what's happening? You guys are sure that's the right answer. 
We don't need to do a parenting class on bleach bottles and what the right course of action is. No, you're right. You take the bleach away. Now, I, I know that some of you may quickly say, well, look, man, that's not a fair or accurate analogy to what we're talking about. Because when it comes to sexuality, if there's two consenting adults, then there's no harm. And so you're talking about a kid with a bleach bottle. That's, that's, that's not apples to apples. Well, friend, I think, may, may I submit to you, if that's what you're thinking, or something along those lines, that that line of thinking reveals a fundamental flaw in our reasoning And that fundamental flaw is an overestimation of our wisdom. James 1.5 says this, But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Seems to be this idea built in there that we might be lacking wisdom. I think it's more sure than that, actually. How do I know if I lack wisdom? Maybe you heard everything I just said and you're actually engaged and you just asked a really good question. Well, okay, all right, sure, I'll come with you, preacher. How do I know if I lack wisdom then? Well, first of all, because we are not God, we will always be lacking wisdom. You understand? There, God is perfect in all things, omniscient. We sang that this morning. Perfect in wisdom, perfect in all knowledge and the application of all knowledge. We are not. And so there is always going to be, to some degree, a lack of wisdom on our part, at least this side of eternity. You might just go, I don't know about that. I mean, I've become more convinced of this the more very intelligent people that I've met and talked to. Because when I talk to very intelligent people, they often say that the smarter they got, even in their particular field, the more they realize they don't know. Fools are the only ones who think they already know everything. We could flip through the Proverbs and find some stuff on that too. But I think you can just get that without even the Proverbs help, probably, can't you? Everyone knows, man, it's a fool that thinks they know everything. Wise people know they don't know a lot. (laughs) Wise people have a humility and and an understanding. I mean, it's it's so easy to have a, a narrow view, think you have it all figured out, and be very good at giving out your opinions. That's... (laughs) doesn't take much smarts or wisdom to do that. But to be open to the reality, but man, I've, there's probably more that I don't know than I do. That's, you're on the way to wisdom. So all of us, that being said, should continually be asking for wisdom in all of our lives, wherever we actually rank on the wisdom spectrum. Okay? But I, I would submit to you that maybe an even easier red flag, kind of a real thick black line you could look for. A red flag to spot a lack of wisdom is looking for in yourself anywhere that our inner belief or our outward behavior disagrees with God and his word. Anywhere you find one of those, there's a lack of wisdom. You can be sure of it because God is the author of all wisdom and what he says is right. And some of you may be struggling with that premise, and I'm not trying to be funny or, or, or a smart aleck about this, but look, you're, you know, you're here today, we believe the Bible, and that's what I'm giving you. So here's the Bible's perspective on that idea. When you make everything with your words, you set the rules. That's just how it is. So I understand some of you may not be there right now. Maybe you don't believe God made everything with his words. Okay, f- fine, that's fair, but then I would encourage you to 
go begin to examine whatever evidence you can and, and come to the conclusion somehow, pray, ask for wisdom, look at other sources, whatever you got to do. But you know, it, it matters where all of this came from <laughs> because if it's all random chance and you know, we got lucky in the cosmic lottery, then sure, you're right. Nature's red in tooth and claw. Let's just do what we feel like. And this thing can kind of wind down as it does. But if there's a wise, loving creator that made it all, then, then there are going to be some standards that govern the thing. And I'm going to want to know what those are and then obey them. Uh, and to stand up against the creator of all things, the one that gave me even the ability to reason and ask these kind of deep questions, to stand up against him and say that he's wrong and, and I'm right or he's wrong and me and the rest of my, my cultural tribe is right. We. <clears throat> That's a bummer perspective, okay? So another more direct way to say this, a more direct way to say that we may suffer from an overestimation of our own wisdom is that we are prideful. And you might not like that statement. I, I know there's lots of things lots of people may not like today. So that's good. We are prideful. And pride is, is like... In a way, it's like staph infection, or it's like that virus that causes cold sores. You know what I mean? It, it, uh, it's like that, except every single human has this one. They're infected with it. And, and here's the thing. It may lay dormant sometimes, but, but ultimately it is. Pride is the root cause of all our sin, and we will not be delivered completely from its effects until we are made fully and finally perfect in eternity with Christ. Pride is what initially caused the enemy to think he deserved worship more than God. So it kicked this whole thing off. Pride is what had Adam and Eve thinking that, man, the knowledge to know what good and evil is and, and even maybe be able to determine that for ourselves, pride is what got sin originally in this whole picture. The idea that maybe God said don't eat of that, but maybe I, maybe I do know better. Right there. That's where we messed up. Rewind the tape. Go back, fix that. We can fix all the rest. But the genie's out of the bottle, and now we've got to deal with where we're at. Every one of us suffers from the infection of pride. Wisdom is acknowledging that. <clears throat> I'm still dealing with the idea that maybe the bleach bottle analogy isn't fair. Because, friends, here's the deal. If God is infinitely wise and infinitely loving, my premise is that he is. And if we are not, my premise is that we are not, <laughs> then we are always, in, in at least one sense, like little children in comparison to him. It doesn't matter that you've reached legal age that we've determined here in this time and place. That literally has no bearing on how wise you are. You know, Don't shout their name out, but have you ever met an unwise older person? Any unwise adults? I have. <laughs> I am one sometimes. So, you know, the mirror is a great introduction to that oftentimes. <clears throat> but because of where he is and where we are, we are always like little children compared to him. So the bleach bottle analogy is not as far off as, as you might think. And this is part of what it means when Jesus said, in order to enter his kingdom, we must become like children. Acknowledging that in many ways we are like children in comparison to a God like this, puts us in the proper posture to approach him. 
Each of us needs to come to grips with the fact that we are still like kids trying to drink bleach. And this is true when it comes to all kinds of sin, but the devastating effects of sexual sin upon us is often especially destructive. Now, I know some of you might hear that, and what might, might rise up out of you in that moment is like, no, 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 hold on, you're, you're doing legalist stuff, you legalist. That's legalism because <clears throat> all sin is the same. And you might feel like you pulled a trump card there and you got me. But here's the thing, I don't know where you got that. It wasn't the Bible, for sure. And I know I'm tipping over sacred cows all over this sermon, just punting them. I get it, man, I get it. This is uncomfortable. I mean, it's not for me, I'm having fun, but I know it could be uncomfortable for you, so I'm trying to be gracious, I really am. If it doesn't sound like I am, I promise. You know, I'm, I am. I'm, one, I'm trying to use one barrel here, not both. Um, but th- that idea that all sin is the same is not even biblical. Now, maybe in one sense it is, okay? In one sense, that's not the way I just talked about it. Here's the reality. God's grace is also infinite. God's mercy is also infinite. We sang about that this morning. Man, I appreciate singing songs that teach me theology. That's good, man. Amen. But because God's grace is infinite, his mercy is infinite, okay? Then in the sense in which we're talking about the difficulty level for God to forgive sins. All sins are the same. It doesn't tax the grace and mercy of God to forgive a murderer any more than someone that stubs their toe and lets out a string of expletives and, and they've said naughty words, right? God, God's not having to go, oh, this one's hard to forgive and oh, that one's easy, okay? So in that sense, yes, but, but rem- listen back to what I said. The devastating effects of sexual sin upon us is often especially destructive. What it doesn't mean, but what people often try to make it mean, this idea that all sin is the same, is that, well, who are you to judge? We all sin, don't we? Gotcha, checkmate. So how could you say anything about my sin or point out anything? Well, here's the thing, man. Some snares will will grab your toe and sting a little bit, man. Some snares, when they snap shut, they take you off at the knee, man, and you're bleeding out. Well, where do you get that? Well, just, let's just go to 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 18, where it says, flee sexual immorality. When Paul wrote that, I'm almost certain, I'm going to ask him when I get there. I'm sure the line will be long, but I'm going to wait for this one because I'm curious. I'm curious. When he said flee sexual immorality, I'm almost certain he had in mind Joseph. Remember when Potiphar's wife's like, hey, come lay with me? And he said, no, you know, I can't do that. I'm not going to dishonor God. I'm not going to dishonor Potiphar. I'm not going to do that. And she grabs his tunic, man. She's about to put it on him. And he says, whoop, slips up out the tunic and runs out the house. My man fleed sexual immorality. Some of you need some Joseph anointing in your life. And I'm real serious about it. Some of you need to pray to God to help you have the boldness and the courage to flee when certain temptations are, I don't Pastor Vince, are you saying I should run outside in certain... Yes, I don't care. Run outside in the street and make yourself look like a fool if that's what it takes to stay out of the snare. Is he joking? No! I'm serious. Amen. I didn't even finish the verse. Flee sexual morality for... Here's a good... Listen to me. For every other sin a man commits is outside the body. Every other sin. But the sexually immoral man sins against his own body. 
And do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? So what do we have? We have someone writing scripture inspired by God saying every other sin is this way. Sexual sin is this way. It's, a, it's in a different category and its effects are more devastating. That's what the Bible teaches about it. You don't, you don't have to believe that, but you're going to have to disagree with God about it. And I would say that's a very poor approach. Okay. All right. <clears throat> Verses 7 through 14. Let's look at those together. Now then, my sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Or you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one. Strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And you groan at your final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say, how I've hated instruction and my heart spurned reproof. Some of you might be feeling that right now. I get that. But man, listen to me. <clears throat> none of what I'm doing today is because I am, am, am riding around on some self-righteous high horse, okay? The commission that I have from the Lord is to be an under-shepherd and to care for his sheep. And so all I'm doing, and, and, and I want you to know, for some of you, I've had to come to you directly about things of this nature. And in the future, that part of my job in obeying Jesus and loving you might be for me to come to you directly about some of these things and deal with it. But understand what that looks like. It's not legalism. If Look, I love Jesus and I love his people. And so if I, if I can see clearly that one of his sheep has wandered down to a pool of water full of poison and is drinking from it happily, thinking everything's great, but I know that's going to hurt them, then part of what I, I'm, I would... I would be abdicating my responsibility. And it's not just because I'm called by God to be a shepherd among God's people. This, this call extends to all of us. Sheep got to look out for each other too. You might have to bite one another in the hind leg a little bit, get them away from the poison pond. You know what I mean? Bad at them a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, y'all. <laughs> Amen. Didn't think you were going to get a sheep impression today, did you? That wasn't even my best. I wasn't really warmed up. I, gotta, it's, I can do better than that. <clears throat> How I've hated instruction, my heart has spurned reproof. I've not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly in the congregation. I want to key in on verse 8 here. Keep away, keep your way, your way, far from her door, and do not go near the door of her house. Oftentimes, the way we deal with temptation broadly, and I would say maybe in particular when it comes to these issues of sex and sexuality, is uh, we, we, have this, we have this weird tendency to think that, uh, like I don't know, a good way to exercise our faith or try to grow in self-discipline is to walk right up to the line of sin and kind of weeble-wobble there and then try to white-knuckle it and, and pull back away. With God's help, of course. God's going to help me. Well, okay, he is helping you. He, he, he's smarter than the devil and smarter than you, and he's giving you a really helpful idea right here. What is it? Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Don't walk by the adulteress's door, smell her perfume, and, okay, I'm going to apply self-control and not go in there. What does he say? Take a different route. Take a different street. Go somewhere else. 
And I'd be like, oh, well, that's Solomon. That's really Old Testament. I don't know if I care about that. Okay, well, we got something in Romans too. Ready? Romans 13. Do this, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep, for now salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. Therefore, let's rid ourselves of the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and debauchery, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. That's a more flowery, detailed way to say, don't go walk by the harlot's house. But we do. <laughs> and I don't know what that looks like for you, depending on what your snare looks like, depending on where you're at in, in the uh, process of being enticed by the bait in the snare. It looks different for different people. For some of you, it might have to do with technology. For some of you, it might have to do with a certain person at work or a neighbor or whatever. Some of you, it could be all kinds of things. But the, the point is, we have to outsmart and stay steps ahead of the tempter, our enemy. And this starts with believing the premise we laid out from the beginning. That why would I care about staying out of this? You're not going to care about making no provision for your flesh if you aren't first convinced that God is actually good and that his boundaries are benevolent, and that they're there for a reason, to help you and not to hurt you. We've got to first be convinced in God's goodness, the truthfulness of his word, that what he asks us to do is for our good, what he asks us to stay out of, commands us to stay out of is for our good. If we get there, and, and, and I get, some of you may not be there, but then that's where to start. Start considering those things. Start prayerfully and, and, and with as much wisdom as you can find, begin to consider what is the most reasonable thing to believe about whether God created all this, what his purposes are, and, and what the purpose of his purposes are, right? Is he a maniacal control freak? Or is he a really loving father that maybe knows more than we do? <clears throat> so, make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. That's, now we're kind of getting to the, the hope is that I've, even if you don't agree with me at this point, or agree with the scriptures at this point, about the nature of all these things. Um, I, I'm hoping that with the help of the Holy Spirit, some of you do. And so then the next questions you would be asking is like, okay, well, yes, I, I, yeah, there's bait in the snare and I want to grab it. So what do I do? Or I've grabbed the bait in the snare and my arm's hooked up. What do I do? Right? So now we're getting to that. One of the first things to do is to stop thinking that running up to the edge of temptation and then then crying out and praying for help is the right answer. Now, here, God is so gracious and merciful that if you, like a dummy, run up to the edge of temptation and you're in that spot, he'll meet you right there and he will help you. But that's not plan A. Plan A is make no provision for your flesh. Stay away from the doorway. Right? If, if, look, if a doctor diagnosed you with diabetes, stay out of the bakery at Kroger. You know what I mean? Don't go over there and, and look at the cakes and touch the plastic on the outside. And maybe pop it open. Whoa. German chocolate, that's my favorite. But I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just smelling it. Well, you know, I could, I mean, it smells so good. You know, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it and I'm going to take it home. But just to smell, I'm not going to eat it. I'm just going to sit it on the counter. I'll look at it. That'll be fun. I'll smell it every once in a while. You, you don't need a PhD to know what happens next. <laughs> 
you, you, you're going to get a fork or, or, you know, if they're all dirty, you may just fist some cake. <laughs> num, 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 num. Be smarter than that, man. That's what God's asking of you. I'm giving you wisdom, I'm laying it out. You don't even have to figure it out. Here it is. Stay away. Steps away. Don't play with this stuff, man. It's not a joke. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. I, I hope you'll pray about what that means for you. I can't, come up, I can't think of every scenario, and that's not even the right way to do this. I give you the principle. I give you what the Word of God says, and then you, with the help of the Holy Spirit, have to apply it to your specific situation and help others apply it to theirs. Amen? <clears throat> and, and, and this, what we're talking about right now, that's, that, that's kind of my summary on that, is what we just talked about that offers instruction to those who are ensnared currently and to those who want to help them get free. You need to know that. You might, you might have checked out a while ago because right now in this season of your life, sexual temptation and sin is not, not a real problem. Don't check out on me. I started in the beginning by telling you, man, the world is wrecked with pain over this stuff. And we're supposed to be salt and light. So if you're going to be on mission with Jesus and want to help people, breaking the cords of this kind of bondage, helping people fight their way out of these snares is going to be part of the mission. You're going to have to be bold enough and have enough love to get into that mess. We can't be like the first guys that walked by the Good Samaritan, or the, the guy on the Good Samaritan story, the parable, you know what I mean? The guy that fell in the ditch, he's bloody and nasty, he's got some wounds and stuff. And there were was, there was some people that were too high and pious, they just walked a wide circle around him. And that's what we do with this stuff. Sometimes it seems too complicated or too messy. I don't want who am I to judge? <laughs> You're a child of God, a brother or sister in Christ. So if someone's in the ditch bleeding, it ain't judging to go over there and bind up wounds. Amen. It's not harsh judgment to go over there and lovingly say, hey, you, you want out of the ditch? I can help. Let me put your arm around my shoulder, man. Let's, let's see if we can get to the end. Amen. All right. In case, you didn't, in case you haven't figured it out yet, that, that line of thinking that loving one another to speak, enough to speak bold truth in, in grace and, and, and gentleness, that the whole idea that that's been relegated to, uh, oh, well, you're just being judgmental, that frustrates me a tad bit. Maybe that's come through today. I'm trying to not come through a ton because this is already hard, and I get that. Anyways, just trying to be honest. Okay, verses 15 through 23. All right. Drink water from your own cistern, fresh water from your own well. You guys understand he's not talking about drinking water right now. You got that? Should your, <laughs> should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Again, we're not really talking about water. Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress or embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord. He watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked. He will be held with the cords of his sin. He will die for lack of instruction. And in the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. And so here we kind of have a, a final recap of the principle we've been talking about through the whole thing. And so my hope is that at least some of you at this point there's perhaps been a pivot or maybe there wasn't that much work for you to get there, but, but the, the pressing question is, okay, if, if maybe if I'm entangled in sexual sin or I want to help others who are, then how do we get out? Where is there hope? Because this is hard and the snare is real and it's not 
just a matter sometimes of, of just making a decision to pull back, right? That's how snares work. <laughs> when they grab you, it's not just like, oh, well, I want to be done with this now, right? That's why the Bible uses this language. Stay away, away from it, because once it gets its hooks in you, now it's going to be bloody, and it's going to hurt, and it's going to be hard, but it doesn't mean you can't get out. There is hope. So what is that? Where do we look? Well, first off, I would submit to you that, that the starting point is being convinced that any deviation from God's plan for sex and sexuality is actually sin. We need to hate sin and put it to death. We have to stop being double-minded and justifying it or making excuses for it. Okay? As long as you're going to stay in the realm of, okay, well, maybe that guy had some good points, but I don't know. It, it, Maybe it's not that big a deal. If you're undecided, if you're double-minded, the book of James is also helpful there. It says the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways and should expect to receive nothing from the Lord. So you're not going to have really any help from where you really need it, which is God himself in terms of helping others get out of this stuff or getting out of it yourself, if you're still double-minded on the thing. So that's where, if that's where you're at, I understand. It's hard, man. There's other voices I realize you, you're getting barraged. You know, I'm, I'm going to get you for 45 minutes-ish today with a Bible. All week long, you're being barraged with counter messages to what you're hearing here. I understand that. And I get that that's confusing and, and it can be hard. And so it's going to take some maybe thinking and praying on your part and, and working through it. But I'm just saying, you're not going to get real far until that process is at least finished. You have to at least decide, this is a snare and it's hurting me. Not, this is a lollipop and I like it. Okay? So, right there it would be step one. We have to get to the point where we actually hate sin and we want to put it to death, not coddle it uh, like a pet. Okay? The second thing I would submit to you is, once you're there, ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Because this ain't going to be something you're going to do on your own. I, I would refer you back again to 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee sexual immorality, for every the sin a man commits is outside the body, but the sexual immoral man sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? That right there is pointing us to the promise of Pentecost. It's Pentecost Sunday, if you didn't know. Denoting the, the time the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, this was the promise of the Father from all along. Not just God with us in the form of Jesus, but God in us in the form of the Holy Spirit. It was the plan all along. God was always doing something way wilder than a tabernacle or a temple or even Jesus uh, being on the planet walking around. The wildest iteration of God's ultimate plan of redemption was to take his very spirit and put it inside of us. To make us his New Testament temple. That's why Pentecost is exciting, and that's a lot of where your hope is going to come from in this thing. Remember, remember, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where's your help going to come from? The fact that God is in you. And so don't discredit that. Don't, because ultimately, when I, I really, look, I've walked with enough people through these kind of battles, I realize how discouraging it can be. Because there are many of you who genuinely have decided, I hate sin. You've genuinely decided, I want to put this to death. You hate it. And yet you still, it feels like you got out of the trap, but then it snares you again. Or it you, you seems like you get some traction, and then it pulls you back again. Friends, don't, in, 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 if that's what the process looks like, don't let Satan convince you that it's hopeless. Well, well, why? It looks hopeless. Because God himself lives inside of you. And so what we have to functionally say and believe to give up the fight is that God can't do this. 
God can't beat this. God is too weak and impotent to deal with and put my sexual sin to death. Now, I don't think most of you, I hope, don't say it around me for sure, because I'm going to check you. Nobody in here is going to say God's too impotent to handle this. But we can functionally say that by going, ah, I'm, I'm done, I give up. Uh, I can't fight anymore, I'm too tired. Well, okay, maybe what that's revealing is too much of the fight being in your hands anyways. Maybe what we need is a more robust understanding of what it means to be indwelt by the Spirit of God. Friends, let me just make it real simple. Put your hope in Him. It was always going to be there anyways. That was the only shot you ever had, was in Him. He kind of set it up that way on purpose. Amen? Okay. That's good. The third, or, yeah, the third thing I'm going to give you, we're talking about how to get out. We're talking about where there is hope. Decide you really want to put it to death. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Walk in the light. Let me read you. I'm just going to, I'm, I'm, I think I'm not going to say anything other than just read you these scriptures and move on. I think. 1 John 1 verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you. That God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Boy, that's helpful. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous, so that he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes, I'm just going to give you that because man, it's so good. If, if maybe just spend time, if it's not clicking yet, thinking about how one John one, five through nine applies to our discussion today. Cause buddy, it does. Okay. That's the third thing. Fourth thing I'm going to give you is to believe the gospel. And I don't mean well, yeah, I did, believe, I did believe the gospel. And I mean believe the gospel right now. Believe the gospel as it pertains to the situation you're fighting through right now. Understand how the gospel applies right now. Well, how does the gospel apply? Well, what is the gospel? It's the bad news that we're broken, busted sinners and Jesus had to come, live a perfect life we couldn't, die the death we should have, and rise from the grave. What does that mean? Well, because he rose from the grave, because the story didn't end at Golgotha, but it ended with an empty tomb, what it means is that Jesus already defeated sin. So it changes our job description from we need to defeat sin to we walk in a victory that's already been won. That really changes the dynamic. I mean, spiritually, psychologically, it, it applies across the board. What does that mean practically? It means that the, even the effects, the temptations that our enemy uses, the Bible use, uses this analogy for the devil. He's like a roaring lion... He roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So here's, what, what does that tell us? That tells us that there are some he may devour and some he may not. What makes the difference? How much of this truth is written upon your heart is going to make all the difference on whether he gets to devour you or not. Because look, man, he's a toothless lion. He doesn't actually have any power left. He can't come in and grab anybody with that gummy mouth and make them do anything. Because Jesus already kicked all those teeth out when he came up out of the grave, you understand? So what we have is a, is a gummy lion, but he's still really good at lying. We got a lying lion. And, and we're oftentimes gullible and foolish and we believe the lies. Who he may devour is the ones that get pulled into the confusion and the deception. That don't have enough 
of God's truth written on their heart to be able to push back against those lies, that's whom he may devour. That's who the snare may grab. And so believing the gospel, believing that victory has been won in Christ, places us in a position, we fight from an advantaged position. I mean, if this was a battlefield, it's, it's not we're going out with an equally opposing force and we got our swords and shields and they got theirs. They're all laying down. They already got knocked out and we just walk through and kick a few in the head as we go. It's how it's supposed to look. And that's encouraging because many of you haven't felt like that's been the case. Many of you have believed the lie that you are too weak to ever get out of this deal. That, that God really can't help you. That he doesn't care about you. There's so many lies you could have possibly believed around all of this. And, and that meant you were on the menu for being devoured. But friends, if you'll believe the gospel, the simple gospel, that Jesus came and did what the Father promised he would, that he brought salvation and victory to those who would trust him. If you'll simply believe the gospel, it will put you in a different position from which to fight. It can breathe life, vitality, and hope back into you to pick up wherever you left off and join the fight again to find real, true freedom. That's what God wants for you. Freedom and actual good things. I'm so thankful that's true. Amen. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you for Proverbs 5. Thank you that your word is not sanitized. Thank you, Lord, that your word is clear, that your word speaks to real things. Thank you, Lord, uh, that we as your people have the great privilege of standing in a time and place where we have all of your word assembled, where we can come to it to glean the wisdom that it provides. Thank you that you've invited us through the Apostle James and his writings to come to you and to ask for wisdom. God, please give us the humility to, and the wisdom to know we need more wisdom. <laughs> give us the humility to know that we're going to be in a constant position of needing more wisdom from you. May we ask consistently and may we enjoy your faithfulness to your promise. Lord, help us to be like Solomon of old, that when he was given the opportunity to ask one thing of God, he asked for wisdom. Lord, we know that's pleasing to you. Help us know, Lord, that we have blind spots and pride and that we are riddled with foolishness oftentimes. But let us also counterbalance that truth with the reality that you have made us your New Testament temple, that we are your children and we have access to all the wisdom of you, our perfect Father, forever. Thank you, God, that though we are weak, we are strong. And we're strong because of you. Help us understand what that means and to walk in it. For your glory, Master, and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.